Hope from heaven, ready or not. As Pastor Kevin has prepared us over the last couple of weeks, there were a lot of requests for sermons on heaven when we were doing the Sermons from a Hat series. And there just seemed to be a beautiful connection between heaven and the birth of Christ. And so we'll be exploring that in these weeks to come as we work our way to and through Christmas. And there's no better place to begin than with heaven itself. And so we're turning today to the 21st chapter of the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 21, and we'll be reading it in its entirety. Let's hear this word of the Lord. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates and with twelve angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The city was laid out like a square as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be twelve hundred stadia in length and as wide and high as it is long. The angel measured the wall using human measurement, and it was 144 cubits thick. The wall was made of jasper, and the city of pure gold as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth ruby, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth turquoise, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of gold, as pure as transparent glass. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. 
The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful. But only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Let's pray. Lord, such awesome words. Such a grand picture. Infiltrate our hearts now and our minds. Draw us to ourselves and grant us the words we need to hear. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. In John's day, being Christian had had lost its shine. Christians were undergoing tremendous persecution and they were discouraged about the state of the church and the state of the world. There seemed to be a Roman presence everywhere. Taxes were high. Poverty was rampant. Unemployment was on the rise. And the amount of famine was increasing. And as if that was not enough, it seemed as if the Roman government was now beginning to increase its intolerance of Christians. That, in fact, is the reason John was on the island of Patmos to begin with. He had refused to stop preaching Jesus Christ, so they banished him, figuring we will hear from him no more. And so the Christians are beginning to ask some deeper questions, like, is it worth standing up for Christ? Is Jesus really worth dying for? And so Jesus, while John was on the island of Patmos all by himself, gave him this tremendous revelation filled with symbolism that the Christians would understand to remind them that God was busy working out his plan according to his purpose in his time. And this glorious vision climaxes with one final episode of heaven coming down to earth. And yet this fact holds out very little hope if we do not know some basic facts about heaven. And so this morning, we focus on heaven itself. Now, we'll do it a little different approach this morning. Movies that come out in multiple episodes usually start with where things are now. For example, the first Star Wars was, this is where it is, and then the succeeding episodes back up and go to the beginning and say, how do we get there? So this morning, we're going to begin with where Jesus is now. To do that, we look at John 14, verses 1 to 3. Jesus said to his disciples, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Tremendous Jewish imagery there. In their culture and in their custom, when a couple became engaged, they were said to be betrothed, like Mary and Joseph were betrothed. Not yet married, but they were engaged. They were betrothed to each other. And once they got engaged, the groom would go back to a a place that he had selected, and he would prepare a house, a home, and a land, so that it was all set and ready for the day when they got married, so they would go and have a place to live. So Jesus uses that analogy. 
He uses that imagery and he says, I'm going. As the groom, I am going to prepare a place to get things ready for that day when we will live together. So the first thing we discover is heaven is a prepared place. Heaven is a prepared place. It is prepared by Jesus. Revelation 21, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. Heaven is, first of all, a place of beauty, like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. It's as if John doesn't know how to express the beauty that he sees, so he he takes what he thinks is the most beautiful image on the earth, and he uses that, and he says, a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I have to tell you that over the years, all the weddings at which I have presided, what a joy to stand there in the center and see every bride come down the aisle, and I have never, ever, ever seen an ugly bride. They have all been absolutely beautiful. I better clarify, I think my, my wife was the most beautiful of all, of course. <laughs> I figured I'd better say that, it would be a long, quiet ride home. But, <clears throat> but it's also true. So John is saying that heaven is a place of beauty beyond what we can think or imagine. A bride adorned for her husband. But we see heaven is also a place of newness. Revelation 21 and 22 are filled with the words, new, new, new. It's as if from John we're hearing all over again, let there be. From Genesis, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth to I saw a new heaven and a new earth. From the darkness he called night in Genesis to there shall be no more night. From driven from the tree of life in Genesis to the tree of life appears. From you shall surely die to there will be no more death. Our world is so far fallen, it simply can't be renewed. Something new is needed. The old can no longer be revamped. God will make all things new. And it will be a world of grace and forgiveness. That will rule the day. Our sins will be forgiven, but beyond that, all the effects of sin, separation, destruction, unrest, turmoil, anxiety, enmity, rage sorrow, death, all the effects of sin will be gone forever. There will be no more scars, no more sores, no more pain, mental, physical, and emotional, no more suffering in all of its forms, gone. Hospitals, death, funerals, gone. Wheelchairs, canes, crutches, gone. Suicide bombers, twin tower attacks, army invasions, guns in schools, terrorism, gone. Mental and physical disabilities, gone. Blindness, drunkenness, muteness, deafness, gone. Parkinson's, MS, diabetes, arthritis, rheumatism, paralysis, kidney stones, heart disease, gone. Cancer, gone. AIDS, gone. COVID, gone. Abuse, violence, gone. Financial failures and worries, gone. Racial hatred, prejudice, social injustice, gone. It's all gone. Verse 4 puts it tenderly. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. When was the last time you cried? 
the last time you were in pain, the last time you mourned. There's coming a day when no more. And God doesn't just wipe the tears. He removes them. Imagine. Home where no one ever has a heartache. Home where no one gets angry. Home where no one gets lonesome. Home where no one gets tired. Home where no one gets sick. Home where no one dies. Home where no one ever says goodbye. All things new. And in this newness we find also a new environment. Verse 3, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Heaven is a place filled with all the fullness and the presence of God himself. God appeared to Moses in a burning bush. He appeared to Israel in a special way through the pillar and the cloud. He appeared to the high priest in the temple. He appeared to the world in Jesus, but in heaven he will appear as himself in the midst of his people. In the midst of his people. That means our earthly companions will all be there as well. We will be reunited with those whom we have loved and who have gone on before us, permanently reunited, never to be separated again. My friends will be there. All those dear saints at whose funerals I have presided will be there. My in-laws will be there. My mom and dad will be there. My sister will be there. We'll all be in perfect harmony with one another. Emmanuel, God with us, fully realized. And in this new environment, praise God, we'll have a new body. 1 Corinthians 15 states that in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, we will all be changed. That's good news, since most of us get very concerned about our bodies. How we look, how we don't look. The older we get, we get concerned about it falling apart and holding together. The Bible tells us that in heaven it will be our body, but it will be different. Totally different. It reminds me of the story of an old farmer who took his family into the big city. First time that the rest of the family had ever been in the big city. They were amazed by all of the tall buildings and everything they saw and all the traffic around them. And He dropped his wife and daughter off so they could shop in a store and he went and parked and he took his son inside of a bank building. First time the son had been in the bank building, first time he had really been in the bank. And They got in and first thing was he was amazed by its size, but the second thing was he was amazed by the elevator. As he stood there watching, the elevator doors open and an elderly woman walked in and the doors closed and it was back in the day when there was an arrow that went like this to tell you the floor they were on and went all the way to the right and all the way back to the left, doors opened up and out walked a beautiful young woman. You know what's coming, don't you? He looked at his son and he said, you wait here, I'm going to go get your mother and run her through that thing. <laughs> well, I don't think it's going to be quite like that way anymore, but Heidelberg Catechism does assure us even my very flesh, raised by the power of Christ, will be reunited with my soul and made like Christ's glorious body. What is Christ's glorious body like? Remember his resurrection appearances. 
It was his body, and yet he couldn't be recognized until he revealed himself. He passed through doors and walls. He appeared and disappeared at will. As Paul says, it's a mystery, but it's true. We will be perfectly suited for heaven like Christ. God will make all things new. And not only is heaven characterized by newness, but it's a place for eternity. Verses 9 to 21 give us all of the technical aspects, so to speak, of this great place. And time doesn't allow us to go into great detail, but let me try to give you at least a summary. The gates and walls in verses 12 to 14 show us that heaven is secure and protected. Just think of all the security measures we have here in in our world. OB units have strict security, so mother and baby don't get separated. We childproof our homes and our medicine cabinets. Our schools have security. Our airports have security. Our borders, or at least most of them, have security. And the symbolism means that in heaven there will be no fear. Totally secure. And the measurements, verses 15 to 17, tell us that heaven is spacious and gorgeous. It's spacious, plenty of room for everyone who believes. And that means there's still room for that unbelieving mother or father or son or daughter or aunt or uncle or friend. So keep loving, keep witnessing. There is plenty of room. And verses 18 to 21 talk about how gorgeous it is. There's jewels all over the place. The exquisite wealth of heaven. The most precious jewels and gems we know are but the building tools, the building materials for heaven. We will walk on streets of gold. And then we're told that heaven is configured for health, beginning in verse 22. It talks about God's glory being the light that illumines everything. Light produces life. Light brings health. There's no darkness means there's nothing in heaven that prohibits life and nothing that permits evil. And Heaven is designed for fulfillment. We will find our full identity. We will be like Jesus. On the earth, that's a goal we strive for. But in heaven, it's given to us. Revelation 22.4 says, They will see his face, and on his name, and his name will be on their foreheads. In his third epistle, his first epistle, chapter 3, John wrote, We shall be like Jesus, for we shall see him as he is. Now, I still have a lot of things I want to do in this life and a lot of relationships I want to nurture and a lot of time I want to spend with those I love, but i got to tell you, I can't wait to see him face to face. To be like him in all of his glory. The great hymn writer Fanny Crosby wrote over 6,000 gospel songs. Although blinded by an illness at the age of six weeks, she never became bitter. Someone once said to her, I think it's a great pity that the Master did not give you sight when he showered so many other gifts on you. And her immediate response was, Do you know that if at birth I had been able to make one petition... It would have been that I should be born blind because when I get to heaven, the first face that shall ever gladden my sight 
will be that of my Savior. Sometime after that, she was leading some of the singing and doing some singing at an evangelistic conference hosted by Dwight L. Moody. And it was there she introduced the hymn that she called her soul's poem. Someday the silver cord will break, and I no more as now shall sing. But oh, the joy when I shall wake within the palace of the king, and I shall see him face to face and tell the story saved by grace. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. Heaven is a divinely prepared place. Can you see the glory? Can you see the beauty? It is, I believe, as Paul wrote, eye has not seen nor ear heard, but God has prepared for those who love him. That's why I love that great song. I can only imagine. I can only imagine what it will be like when I walk by your side. I can only imagine what my eyes would see when your face is before me. I can only imagine, yeah. Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or in awe of you be still? Will I stand in your presence or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine. I can only imagine when that day comes and I find myself standing in the sun. I can only imagine when all I will do is forever, forever worship you. I can only imagine. In Jesus, heaven has come down and we catch a glimpse of the place he is preparing for us. And heaven will come down again. Verse 10, And he carried me away in the Spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. But that's only part of the picture. What assurance do we have that when we die, we'll be in heaven. How do we know that we'll get there? What does it take? What does it mean to be prepared? Is it as simple as the suggestion of little Billy? Little Billy was having one of those days that drives mother crazy, just getting into all kinds of mischief and everything he could find to do wrong, he did wrong. And finally, in desperation, mother said, Billy, how do you ever expect to get into heaven? Little Billy thought for a moment and he said, Well, I'll just keep running out and in until somebody says, For heaven's sake, either go out or come in, and I'll just go in. (laughs) I don't think it'll be quite like that, but how do we get there? The Bible gives us a much more realistic perception. Heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people. Now we move back to the next episode, we go back to the backstory. We focus on a manger in Bethlehem where Jesus, the Son of God, came down in human flesh. As John put it, he tabernacled among us. He dwelt among us. He lived with us in our flesh. And he did so to prepare us for heaven. God knew we would never be 
ready for heaven through our own efforts. Our sin just keeps blocking the way. So God so loved the world, He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The key that unlocks the door to heaven is to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died and rose from the dead to purchase our salvation so we wouldn't have to pay the penalty for our sins. The Bible says simply believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. So the first question for you this morning is, do you believe? I love what the old evangelism explosion method of presenting the gospel did. It always posed a question to start conversation. The question was this, have you come to the place in your spiritual life where you know for certain that if you die today, you would go to heaven? Have you? Where do you stand with Jesus Christ? Are you prepared to live eternally with him? We really don't have a choice to say, oh, I'll, I'll decide later, because today could, in fact, morbid as it sounds, be our last. We know that. And so I ask you point blank this morning, if you were to die tonight, and you stood before Jesus and he said to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Because I'm I'm worthy. Because I'm a good person. Because you're loving. Because I deserve it. Or maybe, Jesus, I I, I don't really know. Or, I'm saved by grace. What would you say? And yet to believe in Jesus means more than just feeling good being secure. It's not a matter of saying, I've got it made, I'll, I'll live as I will. Our belief needs to translate into action. If we believe deep in our hearts, we long for heaven, we will strive for purity. Revelation 21 and 22 all mention in several places that those who are impure will not enter heaven Let me go back to the words of John. We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And then he says, Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself as he is pure. We strive for purity. Not just because God says so, not to to earn our way to heaven, but because we want to be presentable to Jesus. We can't wait to be like him. Let's go back to the bride imagery again. Why does a bride try on her wedding dress ahead of time? She wants to be sure it fits. She wants to be sure she looks right. She wants everything to be just perfect when the groom first lays eyes on her. Taking that imagery, we want to be pure in our lives. We want to be fit. We want to be ready for that time when Jesus and us are face to face for the first time looking at each other in all of our fullness. Do you really want to be like Jesus? Do you long so deeply for the beauty of heaven that you're willing even now to prepare? Are you willing to let go of and get rid of anything that mars his image in your life? Are you ready for heaven? Do you believe 
and do you strive for purity? Remember Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one comes to the Father but by me. And I go to prepare a place for you. It's why he came to earth. Born of a virgin, he went to prepare a place, and he went by way of the cross and the tomb. He rose, he ascended, so he could promise, I will come again and take you to be with me where I am. Do you trust Jesus? It's all by grace. We don't enter heaven because of our effort, our talent, our good looks, our race, our religion, our heritage. We get in through the cross by grace alone. And we demonstrate our love and our trust by striving for purity. There was a city that lay at the bottom of a hill. And on the hillside, just outside the city, stood a white cross. One day, a young boy got got lost trying to find his way home. And a policeman came up to him and said, well, where do you live? And, And the boy didn't know the address. The policeman asked him several other questions, and the boy couldn't answer. And finally, the boy said, take me to the cross on the hillside, and and I can find my way home from there. The way home is through the cross. Are you on that road? Though you do not know the hour, your life on this earth will end. Are you ready or not? Heaven is prepared for you. The question is, are you prepared for heaven? Let's pray. Lord God, thank you Thank you for the assurance that you are working out your plan for the ages. Thank you that part of that plan was to send your son. Thank you for Jesus who came to be like us, to dwell among us, so that he could prepare us for the place he's preparing. Lord, I pray that this morning each of us will examine our hearts and our lives. If there are any who have never said, I believe, whether they be here this morning or listening online or now or later, Holy Spirit, stir in their hearts. Lead them to Jesus. For those here, Lord, who say, yes, I believe, help us to so live, Lord, that the world takes notice, that the world even gets to the point where they hate us because we look so much like Jesus. And help us to realize that's okay because we will be like you. Lord, we long for the day.
We give you thanks. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, I pray. Amen. Let's stand.